not a day that doesn't go by where I'm in Chicago meeting people where they they tell me that's was the worst you know the worst trade that they've ever done, that it's the worst uh, the worst situation they've ever seen. Some people didn't say they haven't, you know, they gave up their their season tickets and have never gone back. Oh, we'll kick those tires and start that cold fire because today we're camping with a legend. He is a member of an extremely elite club, a club so rare that you'll be hard pressed to find anyone around you or in your vicinity that meets these requirements. Am I speaking of politicians that tell the truth? No, I'm speaking of an even more elite club. Those who've scored over 500 goals, those who play in this just gladiator, modern gladiator spectacle we know as the NHL. Please welcome a legend and also someone who Vince Vaughn considers extremely important, Jeremy Roenick, to the campfire virtually. Jeremy, thanks What's for being up, here. my friend? Absolutely. Great to be here uh, camping with you, buddy. I know. Uh, Ca- camping virtually. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I got to say, so when I was Googling you, the one of the things that really I appreciated was that you were rated as the fifth overly disproportionately strong player. I saw this article in uh, a video game where apparently yes. in NHL 94, you were apparently unstoppable. You were like a cheat code. Unstoppable. Unstoppable. So, yes, I am known as one of the greatest uh, video gamers um, characters of all time and whether it was a glitch in the in the uh, protocol <laughs> uh, i don't know but um that's probably the one thing that everybody every single person that i meet uh in a daily basis mentions 94 sega because they either got through college playing the chicago blackhawks they were banned <laughs> from being the being the blackhawks because of jeremy ronick it wasn't so much me it's ronick he's good from vince vaughn and swingers making Gretzky's head bleed. Um, it is, it, it's become a kind of a pop culture iconish uh, video game because of, because of how, how freaky of a, of a, of a good player that my character was. So I just I wish mean, I was that, I wish I was that good in the real NHL game, but it is my, it is one of my claim to fames and I enjoy every bit of it. Well, I just watched Swingers the other night, which by the way, campers mm-hmm. totally holds up. It is fantastic. Apparently the best. Um, yeah, John Favreau did it as an experiment to show he had this new thing called a computer he could write a script on and did it as an experiment. I'm, I'm always jealous slash skeptical when I hear those stories because like you wrote one of the best movies of all time. But apparently, now you can tell me if this is true or not because I've read this. I don't know if this is canon. Is that Vince Vaughn has such an affinity for you that he works in Jeremy Roenick references into a lot of his uh, film. Yeah, I, I think, I think he does. And, you know, he, we have become friends. Uh, I met him just after they, they filmed swingers, maybe about three or four years afterwards. I didn't even know I was in the movie until I watched <laughs> the movie and, you know, everybody that has watched it, it's, it's kind of, it has kind of created a pop, you know, a pop culture type mentality in, in movies and, and how they did it. And, you know, Vince Vaughn being from Chicago was a big hockey fan, big, big Jeremy Roenick fan. And he looked at me and he was so excited to meet me after that. I thanked him for putting me in the movie and kind of paying homage to not only my career, but for that, for that video game, he goes, dude, that was just, that's a total respect. I, I I respect you so much. I wanted everybody to, you know, to know how, how great of a, of a player you are and, and, and how much I look up, up to you. And it was, it was really cool to meet him and have that kind of, kind of back and forth but you know when in in wedding crashers you know what his name was in wedding crashers it was jeremy that's right so so i kind of and somebody told me that he was part of the production of um escape from precinct 13 that i could be wrong about that 
but um, if he's not, then whoever put together that movie is a fan of mine too, because Ethan Hawke's character in Escape from Precinct 13 is Sergeant Jay Roenick. And uh, you see it quite often uh, portrayed on his badge and on the window of his office in the, in the precinct. So, um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have nice to have fans and, and fans that pay homage to you in certain situations. Absolutely. Well, sometimes because uh, we won't get into this, there are certain organizations will go unnamed that perhaps have uh, snubbed and not given the same respect that uh, Vince Vaughn has conferred upon, which I care more. I'd be cool to have like the wedding crasher guy, you know, I mean, that's pretty awesome. So you know um well since we don't have a ton of time today i would love to jump right in um and this is you know we ask everyone who comes on the show to kind of reflect back a little bit on um just their journey and their career and what they would tell their younger self but uh, you're actually our first hockey player uh which is really cool uh um, that's great no pun that's intended awesome. um but um I would love to ask you, you know, if you could go back and talk to yourself in your rookie year, do you have uh, one or two nuggets of advice that you would tell a very young, very skinny and smaller Jeremy Roenick? Uh, yeah, I was. I was 150 pounds, 155 pounds, my first uh, training camp in Chicago in 1988. Um, you know, I, it, it's funny. I, I think I think I would have. I probably told myself to to and remind myself that you know where you are in the totem pole in terms of um, in terms of pro sports. We're players on top of players or coaches on top of coaches or GMs on top of GMs or owners, and um, you know you you are an employee, and sometimes you you just have to uh, you have to play the game the right way. And then you have to be respectful to certain situations and sometimes control your, your thoughts and control what comes out of your mouth. And uh, unfortunately, one of the toughest things that I ever went through and I hear a lot was my differences with the owner of Chicago Blackhawks, Bill Wirtz and how it, it how it ended up in my, in my being traded from Chicago to Arizona in the, and right in the peak of my, of my, you know, of my career, you know, scoring 50 goals, scoring a hundred points per year. Um, it was, it, I mean, I, there's not a day that doesn't go by where I'm in Chicago meeting people where they, they tell me that's was the worst, you know, the worst trade that they've ever done, that it's the worst, uh, the worst situation they've ever seen. Some people didn't say they haven't, you know, they gave up their, their season tickets and they've never gone back. Mm. So yeah, you know, I just, I just think I would have been a little bit more respectful to the fact that, um, you know, there's a way to deal with, with certain things. There's a way to deal with, uh, with um, salary arbitrations or salary um, talks and differences of opinion. And, um, you know, maybe my career would have turned out a little bit different if I stayed in Chicago my entire career. And that's that's probably what I would would have tell myself. Besides everything else, I mean, I. I I have no problem being honest. I have no problem telling people what I think and being forthright and with, you know, obviously without, you know, demeaning somebody or, or, you know, doing what you can't do in terms of, uh, in terms of the social aspect, you know, I'm very, very cognizant of treating people the right way, but uh, you know, I do, I do tell the truth a lot. 
Well, that's what makes, I mean, that's the thing too, is just oftentimes when we talk about, you know, regrets and stuff, it's, you really probably couldn't have one without the other. Perhaps you could tell young Jeremy, you know, maybe, maybe keep your mouth shut a little bit. But, you know, one thing that I appreciate about you is that there are so many fans who I've met or have read about and just talked about uh, that just, they say you're one of the most approachable. They always appreciate how you went Mm -hmm. the extra mile. And uh, I've, uh, granted, I have the highest charting I've gotten on this pot. I did chart at number 20 in Portugal uh, last week, so we'll see. And, and Lithuania, awesome. Lithuania. So you know, I'll see if I can do the Jer- the Jeremy Ronick test when I get out. That, we'll see. Awesome. We'll see if I need security. Probably not. But I just, you know, I know it's tough. You know, people. Everyone wants to be a celebrity, but they don't realize it does. It does come with a cost. And I always yeah. respect when people do that. So I, was that just a, was that a conscious decision that you were like, hey, I, I, people are coming to watch me. I, the least I can do is engage with them, or what? Because you've earned that reputation. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did, you know, when I was seven years old, Gordy Howe dumped snow on my head at a practice, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because he showed me some attention. You know, he, he, he I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, in making sure that you, uh, that you say thank you, that you, um, that you show people that you uh, appreciate that they're there. Uh, acknowledgement is very important to me. When you walk into a room, you say good morning. Uh, when you leave, leave, say goodbye, uh, you know, good handshake, look in the eye. And when Gordy Howe dumped snow on my head, he didn't have to do that. I mean, he was having fun with me. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because for, for like 30 seconds when he came back and winked at me, you know, he, he was having fun with me and he acknowledged that I was there and it was really cool. And I remember how I felt at that moment. And I've talked, I've, I told everybody at the time and I've told everybody the same thing for the, for the, for the next 45 years. And I'm telling you again. And I realize that people in these situations, whether you're a celebrity or an athlete, we have a very cool gift of making somebody happy by just showing some acknowledgement, by talking to them, giving them a little time, throwing them a puck, uh, having fun with them. I used to, you know, during commercial breaks, I used to go to the camera hole and pick out somebody that was eating a bag of popcorn, a little kid, and I'd reach through the camera hole and take some popcorn and have some fun with them while the commercial was going or take a hat off a kid's head, pull it through on the glass and put it on top of my helmet and have some fun because those memories last forever. And, you know, these people, they pay, they pay a lot of money and and their hard earned money to pay astronomical amounts for these tickets these days to go watch us perform yeah. and play. And the least that we can do is, is a one, give them a good product and work your ass off and play good hockey or play good football, play good basketball and give them something to cheer about. Number two, um, if you are in a situation, say hi, make eye contact, let them know that you appreciate that they're there because if it wasn't for the fan, we would just be a, for hockey, we'd just be a local, you know, uh, team in the local arenas with a designated beer guy. You know, it was, we wouldn't, we, we would know, we would not have professional sports. So I understand that. And that's the best thing about sports that is the, is the fans and, and being able to be on that stage and entertain them to do what we do the best and what we love to do. And to maybe for a couple hours, get them to forget about maybe the stuff that might be bothering them or a bad day at work or, you know, something that's going on in their life. And that's a, that's a special thing. And I've always tried to act on that. And I, always am approachable and I always take time to stop and talk ask questions about them and you know when they leave they're like wow that guy was really nice and he he you know he took the time and I want everybody to have a good a, a good experience when they meet me and 
and maybe, you know, try to change some of that reputation that's out there that I'm an asshole because I'm far from it. I mean, I could be an asshole if you, yeah, got, if you're one 30 back. minutes left, we got, we'll see, you know, um, well, speaking of, <laughs> you know, cordiality and warm and fuzzies, I'd love to talk about iron Mike for a minute. <laughs> um, Ooh. Yeah. So it's funny because there's a, there's a whole, it's, it's interesting watching coaching. Like even in the NFL now we have these young, like, you know, uh, 36 year olds, like, you know, rain men who just like get the stats, et cetera. And I feel like we're sort of losing the, uh, the old school, the Bobby Knight style, et cetera. And so uh, my producer who I mentioned is a huge, um, you know, fan of yours. Um, he, uh, uh, he, he, he made, he said, make sure you ask him about any stories about, um, uh, Iron Mike. And yeah, I just, I read a few anecdotes there, but I mean, overall, I mean, what, I mean, a tough man, but like, what was, I mean, I'm trying to drill that down to a question, but just like, any fun stories with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, Mike was not for everybody. And right. if, if you, if you didn't have thick skin and you didn't understand, um, how Mike coached, then you're, you weren't going to make it with Mike. Um, you know, when I got there in 88, I was not a physical player. Obviously, I was only 155 pounds. I was fast. I was very talented, scored goals, did a lot of crazy things on the ice talent-wise, but I wasn't a physical player. And Mike Keenan in the late 80s, early 90s, wanted a mean, hard-hitting, tough-fighting Chicago Blackhawks that people were – that teams were going to be intimidated coming into play. So I remember in my second game in Kalamazoo, I was, I was skating around and I was chasing the puck and then swerving off and not finishing my check for the first period. Well, I did it once in the second period. I came back to the bench and Mike Keenan came running down the bench, grabbed me by my throat from behind and pulled me back, squeezing my throat, almost feeling like his fingertips were touching, you know, in, inside my esophagus there screaming at me so loud that spit was actually coming into my face. And he said to me, if you ever, ever swing by another check again, you'll never play for the national, in the national hockey league as long as I'm coaching. And literally the tears are coming out of my eyes. I was so scared that I, my, literally my career is being threatened if I didn't play a physical game. So, you know, and instead of crying like a baby and whining and say, he doesn't like me, I just, I just, you know, put my head down, use my speed kind of to, overcompensate for my lack of lack of physical weight and size or strength and just catapulted myself into people, turned myself into a human torpedo and just finished every check. And what I found was I could score goals, I can make assists, I can make dazzling plays, and the fans would love it. But then I would knock somebody on their ass with a beautiful check and the fans would go crazy again. And I loved it. And this goes back to what we were talking about giving people that energy, that excitement that gets them into the games. And I found that I could be a physical player because of my speed. And then when I grew into my body, it became even more potent that, um, and Mike Keenan turned me, turned me into, you know, a full, all, you know, full dimensional hockey player. And, you yeah. know, I, I love him for it. Is it, so I'm curious, cause obviously, you know, so many different coaches, you know, I, I, I went to USC and Pete Carroll was the coach there. Uh, and it was mm -hmm. like, you know, granted Pete's very tough, but like, you know, he definitely had a congenial, like fun. There's a lot of pranks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When Iron Mike like walked into a room, was it like a, almost like a military setting was like, was it every guy like got silent? I mean, what was the, what was the air like around that when you play for someone like that? You know, he, he, he had a soft side to him. There's no question. It wasn't really that, that often in the locker room that he had it. He wanted the locker room to be uncomfortable. He wanted people to be on edge because when people are on edge, they, they don't, they, they tend not to get lethargic or lackluster. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's one thing 
complacency is is something that Mike Keenan would never have. So if you're always on edge and you're always angry, you're always, you know, not knowing what was going on. Mike, we had fights every, every, every practice. We had fights within the team. And Mike liked that. He liked that competition. He liked guys having that edge. But, you know, if something was wrong, you could go into his office and you could talk to him. And okay. he, would have a, he would have a soft voice. He would help you. Uh, I remember I remember Michelle Goulet stole his uh, stole his credit card out of his pocket after one practice uh, up in Banff. He got off the ice early, went into the coach's room, went into Mike Keenan's wallet, stole his credit card, and that night put about five thousand dollars worth of alcohol on his credit card. Through he bought he bought drinks for the whole team and the bar and all that stuff. And when the owner saw Mike's credit card bill, he lost his mind. Like, what are you doing? And Mike Keenan stuck up for everybody. He was mad that we stole his credit card, but he was like, he took the hit and he paid for it himself out of his own money and not the team, right? So he, he's a team guy too, and he wants guys to have fun, but it was hard to play for him because you had to bring it. Wow. That's a ballsy to take Mike Keenan's <laughs> credit card. Right. Yeah. You better, well, you, you better, be a you better leaving Famer. permanently. <laughs> yeah. I think, a, I think a hall of famer scored over 500 goals has the little bit of the, uh, the gusto uh, to be able to do it. And show okay. delay is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's cool. He has a softer side. Cause that's interesting too. And you know, do you, in, in reflection now too, I mean, obviously you can win with both style. I mean, the, this, the, you know, the stats don't lie, obviously a very successful coach. So do you think, you know, do you think that ultimately that kind of firm, tough, real patriarchal kind of style, you know, is it, is it effective in hockey or do you think it can go both ways? You can be more, you know, kind of laissez-faire and more one of the guys. Well, back then, well, back then it did. I mean, we got to the semifinals the first two years and went to the finals the third year and unfortunately lost it to Pittsburgh in finals. Uh, but we were extremely successful under that type of regime. And if, if you couldn't play that type of regime, you were gone. You just didn't play. And there were a lot of guys that, that Mike Keenan got rid of because they, did, they didn't want to buy in. And it made us a, a, a very strong team that knew what was going on. We all played the same way. I think nowadays, I think, I think the, the way that kids have grown up in this day and age with you know, the computers, with technology, with, um, with the coddling system that we've had uh, over the last 20 years, it's different. You can't coach players the same way now. Um, they turn on you. They're making more money now. Um, I think they're more emboldened to shut down and not play for somebody because they don't like the situation rather than, you know, put their head down and have to play because they, their life depends on it with the salary that they're making. Um, it's a totally different mentality, but the, the hockey – the players are better these days, but the toughness and the mentality definitely aren't uh, on the same par uh, as they as they were back in the late '80s, early '90s, for sure. Well, I was going to say you. I was going to ask you. You've sustained uh, a wide cornucopia of injuries. Uh, from uh, I saw a video of you talking about your jaw being broken so badly it was mm -hmm. wiggling uh, <laughs> left to right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Concussions. It's on video. It's on. It's on video on YouTube. You can watch it, Darian Hatcher knocking my 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 brains out in uh, 1999 in Dallas you know literally I can almost pull my jaw out of my you know out of my out of my mouth it's crazy oh yeah the teeth knocked I mean that's one thing I think I mean maybe 
fans realize this, but I think one thing that I was just struck at because I, my first love was football and then I got into hockey later, but it's just, it's such a physical game. Um, mm-hmm. And you realize why the dental bills are so high uh, for so many of these, <laughs> for some of these players. Listen, they're, ba- they're, they're badges of honor, yeah. right? They're badges of honor. And, you know, I think, and I think hockey players are a lot different. I think they really want everybody to know that they are part of the team, that they are, that they have bought in and they will do what it takes to win, that they are a good teammate. And those battle scars and those, you know, badges of honor are, are indications of your buy-in. Um, if you play with pain, uh, you do the things that you have to, you sacrifice your body for certain, for certain things. And those, those I, I say this in a kind of a strange way, but those are like gifts and, and commitments to your teammates. And, um, you know, I, I played with a lot of pain cause I wanted to win. I didn't want to bail on my teammates because I had a pulled groin or I had a broken toe. You know, if, if I could play, if I can get in there, I wanted to do it as, as, as much as possible. Obviously you get to a point where the playing is impossible, but, um, you know, you do what you can and sacrifice as much as you can for, for the team. I think hockey players are a different breed like that. Hmm. Well, speaking of competition and just you know, being competitive also, you know, you said fights, bring out the guys and stuff. Um, do you have any um, Eddie Belfort stories of just, you know, you, the competition or anything that uh, you could, you know, that's past the statute of limitations? Well, one thing, Eddie, Eddie was a, Eddie was one of the greatest guys in the world. He's one of the best goaltenders ever to play. Um, and obviously every goaltender has their quirks and, you know, a little bit different than everybody else and, and beat to a different drum. Eddie was no different. Um you, you had to you had to look at Eddie, see what kind of mood he was in in a day to day basis, to know how to deal with Eddie in a day to day basis. On a game day, just leave Eddie alone. Don't talk to him. Let him do his thing. Don't touch any of any any of his equipment. Don't touch anything near his stall. Uh, let him focus the way that he wanted to, and and give him his space. Um, and he had certain things that he wanted, like in practice. You know, you could not shoot over Eddie Belfour's knees in the first 15 minutes of practice. He wanted to get warmed up. He wanted you to shoot low. He wanted to feel the puck. And I remember we're doing a drill, one of the second drill of a practice where we're coming down the center ice, getting a pass from behind and just taking a shot on net, warming up the goaltenders. I remember Dave Manson takes a slap shot and zips it right off the side of Eddie Belfour's mask. Next time, next time Dave Manson came down to get the pass, Eddie Belfour had already sprinted out of his net. And by the time, to- and by the time Dave Manson received the puck at the blue line, looking back to receive the puck, Eddie threw a cross check blow to the, to his head and his shoulders and just totally knocked him on his ass um, in retaliation for that shot. And then, you know, then there was a fight that ensued uh, through everybody for about 10 minutes. And Mike Keenan just stood there, watched, blew the whistle and said, okay, boys, back, back to work. So, Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> oh, that's a great, great, great man, by the way. One of my favorite teammates of all time, Eddie Belfort. Oh yeah. Well, it's just, there's a, comp- I mean, that's the thing too. Is, I, I mean, you know, it's easy to judge on the outside, but these, we're talking about people with a competitive streak and a gene that just makes them so good that it's, I imagine it's like hard to turn that off too. Like when you're in the zone and you're so amped up and the guys who go so far in this, like they, 
you have to have a little different wiring, right? I mean, most people don't make themselves a torpedo and throw themselves mm -hmm. and risk, you know, bodily harm. Uh, that's like, that's just not something a lot of people norm have, I think the, the genes for, right? You know? Yeah. No, there's no question. It's, um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has different levels of competition, competitiveness. Um, some people have different pain thresholds. Some people don't like getting hurt. Some people don't care about getting hurt. Um, there are some people that want to win so bad and they, they, they want to win so bad that they hate losing more than they like winning. You know, it's kind of that mentality. You'll do anything you can to win, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a different breed. Um, they're a different breed than basketball. They're a different breed than baseball than football. And, you know, I, I truly believe hockey is, is, is the, the, the hardest sport to play. You have to be the most athletic, the most coordinated. Um, and, you know, physically you got to be there, but you also, you are, they're also humble. They're some of the greatest athletes and some of the greatest people personally. Hmm. It is. It is a fast, uh, is a, and it's also, it's also, it's cool too. I mean, this is a weird thing, but you know, you go to a hockey game, hockey game, something you don't have to like, you know, you go, a football's an all day thing, you know, it's, uh, mm -hmm. or you're going to go watch a golf match. It's, it is cool that you can experience the adrenaline, everything, and like actually still have the rest of your evening, you know, or do something for it's a, yeah. it's a strange criteria, but you think like, you know, football's like an all day, like that's a, like, especially if you're tailgating, yeah. like that's a, it's a full, full day's work, you know? Yeah. No question. Yeah, it's great. And then this, the, the, the game's fast, the game's quick. Um, you know, it's fun. They're, they're fun to see them in person. It's a lot different seeing them in person than watching them on television. But uh, again, it's, it's an action path, very, very physically demanding and exciting sport. And I, I was lucky enough to play it for 21 years. You know, I was, I was very happy to do that. No, that's a, that's a, that's, that's an eternity. That's all. Yeah. You can, it's, uh, it's like uh, Tom Brady style. Um, so one thing that always fascinates with athletes and something that I imagine has to be tough, and I'm curious to get your uh, response to is, uh, you know, when you spend your life and you are, and you know, you, you know, when you're in it, that it's a limited time, you have a, a physical prime that you're in, you're competing, you know, it can't go on forever. Uh, when you finally do retire and those questions are coming up, yeah. I mean, how, how hard is that? I it just, when that's been your life for so long, you know, what is it like yeah. to finally have to hang up the, the skates and say, all right, this is not my job yeah. anymore. It, it's very difficult um, because that's all, you know, it's your everyday thing. Right. And even if it's not in season, you're going to the gym and you're preparing and somebody's telling you what to do. The hard thing when you retire is there's nobody there to direct you. There's nobody there to tell you you have to be someplace at a certain time, that you have to do a certain amount of reps on the bench, that you have to ride the bike for a certain amount of time. And that's all discipline. And when you retire, sometimes that discipline gets tested. And when you let your guard down, that discipline-wise, uh, a lot of things can happen. You could, A, not watch your money. B, you not watch what you're eating and, and watch your diet what, what, and your health. Um, you, you do the same things as you did as an athlete, eat the same things, drink the same things, but you don't work out the same. Next thing you know, you're, you've gained 50 or 60 pounds. You don't feel good about yourself and you don't know what to do with your life. And I always try to tell kids, uh, especially today, that to prepare for the end as soon as you can. Prepare for retirement now at 21, at 22, at 23. Make sure you're good with your money. Make sure you put it with the right people. Make sure you have good investments. You have good insurance, so on, so on and so forth. Because it's a short career. It really is. And we see too many people that end up in, in trouble because they don't plan 
for that second stage of life. Get interested in other things while you're playing. Maybe it'll lead to a business opportunity afterwards. You know, talking to a lot of people, meet a lot of people because those contacts that you're going to meet are going to have opportunities for maybe jobs or to do things that are a lot of fun um, for after hockey. So it's, yeah, it's, I remember when I, when I retired, Doug Wilson, who was one of my favorite people, my first teammate, uh, my first roommate in Chicago, he was a GM of San Jose at the time. And uh, I said, I was going to play another year. And he says, you know what, JR, I think you're done. You know, you have, um, you've done everything that you can. You've had two great years at 39 years old. I don't know whether that next um, concussion is going to be your last. Mm. Um, uh, can you hold on a second? I got to get the yeah. door. Just, just pause, pause that yeah. for a second. So, so when I'm sitting in front of Doug Wilson, I said, I think I'm going to play another year. And he goes, that next concussion could be your last one, kid. Uh, you've played great. You're 39 years old. You have nothing else to, you know, nothing else to prove. I think you're done. And it took somebody else to tell me that I'm done. And I remember this. I, when he said that to me, the next breath that I took was like the most free, like the, the weight of the world came off my shoulders. And I felt like I had not a care in the world. And I remember it was the most, the, the freest that I've ever felt because someone, someone helped me make that decision. And I was on the cusp of, of you know, retiring and going again. And, um, and I've never missed the game since I haven't missed the game once. I love the game. I love, but, but I don't skate anymore. I don't play anymore. I literally don't enjoy playing anymore. Um, I made the right decision and sometimes people have to help you with that decision, but you have to plan for that end. And, and I did that. Mm. Do we have any new obsessions now? I mean, we, we have to give a shout out to uh, Ryan Ellis. I know you obviously consume this podcast day and night. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Someone so, yep. so unathletic, yet so, you know, leading such a big company. Actually, to be fair, folks, the CEO, mm-hmm. Travis Matthew, holds a, I think he still holds the uh, shooting record <laughs> uh, for college. <laughs> the guy's amazing at uh, basketball. But um, well, what's also amazing is his product. Travis Matthews is one of the best products on the planet, clothing-wise, uh, for uh, for golf and even their even their casual wear is unbelievable i wear it all over the place my closet's full of travis matthews the cloud how about thankful. the cloud lineup the cloud lineup was the that was sick the, i mean unbelievable so as i tell everyone because i'm wearing my my signature blue polo from travis matthew and uh it won't make you play like a golfer but you'll sure look like one <laughs> look like one know? that's so right. yeah so i do that I'm, I'm heavily into the golf situation i am um i'm I am also an ambassador in part in the small ownership of clear sports, clear golf, which uh, we have one of the best golf balls ever, ever tested by golf lab that is going around the, around the world right now. Charles Schwartzel uses our ball. Uh, he was the first uh, winner of the live tour. So we had a, had a good time with that. Um, so that's my issue the- is basically I need to switch from my uh, tailor maids and Dora, they may drop me as a sponsor, but is that, is that yeah. the issue probably with my swing right now is I'm using the wrong ball? Uh, it could be, it could be, listen, it could shave a couple of strokes off your, off your game. There's no question. A good golf ball will do that. How about 12 uh, I'm strokes? Also, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm also, I'm also involved with a, with a golf green company called Celebrity Greens. We build the best golf greens in the, on the planet with, uh, you know, um, uh, just a, a, a very unique, um, 
a unique way of building uh, backyard golf rings. Mark Mark O'Mara is one of our our spokespeople. He has a couple. You hear it uh, on on radio a lot. So, um, you know, we, we we do very well there. And then, I, and by the way, we're camping right now with you, right? That's what we're we doing. are. We're supposed to. So, be, yes. so I just started. I just started a new whiskey. Ooh, it's called that's beautiful. Whiskey. It's called it's called whiskey in the wild. It's a chocolate whiskey. So I have a chocolate whiskey and a chocolate orange. And our life brand is set around the outdoors, you know, the adventure seeker, the guy that loves camping, the guy that loves going out and hiking, you know, the traveling to the, to the top of the mountain, having a sip at the summit. Cause as you'll see, we put a flask that is attached to the bottle. So our motto is take it with you, the traveling spirit. And, um, it's a gift that keeps on giving, but I'll tell you the bottle looks good, but what's inside of it, the ingredients will literally knock your socks off it's one it of the also best. has some natural antioxidants like vanilla right and uh vanilla has uh, elderberry in it which yeah. um which we cannot say makes your liver a little bit healthier but it might <laughs> it might just uh it might just uh decrease some of the uh, the things that happen with your liver when you drink an alcohol but it's it truly is a fun uh, a fun thing a fun uh, thing for me and I think I think we created one of the best uh, spirits that has ever been created, and and everybody loves chocolate. So, oh, we yeah. also make a we also make a lot of a lot of women who don't like whiskey. We turn them in, we have turned them into whiskey lovers. So I highly suggest going to Whiskey in the Wild and checking it out. Oh man, we will. That's uh, that's really cool. Um, uh, so as we wrap up here, a couple couple questions, kind of signature to this show, and feel free to plead the fifth or just say that you know the concussions have limited your ability to recall <laughs> the events in question. Um, I am curious. This is kind of a weird question, but I'm curious. You know, is NHL just like every other uh, you know sport that like when you're out you know, and you're young, like, is it, you know, are there just, are there crazy fans? Are there tons of girls going after you? Is it, you know, what is it when you're like, you know, a, a famous hockey player, is it all the trappings of normal celebrity status? Yes. All of the above. And, you know, there's something about hockey and hockey players, and maybe it's that rough mentality, mm -hmm. that hard hitting, uh, bad boy look kind of image that, uh, that attracts maybe, you know, certain, you know, certain types of people, but, um, he, and, and people love hockey, I think. And it's known that, that hockey players are approachable. They're, they're, they're more, they're more courteous. They're nicer. Um, they'll stop and take their time. So yeah, there's no question being an athlete is <laughs> brings a lot of great benefits, but it, it, it also brings some negatives too, which, uh, which you got to take the good and the bad. Absolutely. Um, and if you don't mind asking too, uh, how did you meet your wife? High school. High school. High school. Yeah, high school my freshman, yeah, my freshman year of high school, I met her. She was part of the popular group. I was part of the athletic group, and we always used to hang out. And uh, we went to prep school together in Boston. And we started, we met in freshman year. We started dating our junior year. And then I left after my junior year to turn pro. And she, uh, she was actually one year ahead of me. She was a senior and uh, went away to college, but we never, we never broke up and been married wow. 30 years, 30 years. And she's, she's the toughest woman I know. And to put up with me for 30 years with the career that I had, the lifestyle I had, the mentality I had and the, and the ego trips that I went through, um, 
the fact that she she kept me reeled in and kept me there and stayed with me through a lot of the tough times and and made me a better person it's you know i'm very very lucky very lucky two great kids to a 28 year old and a 25 year old that are now off my payroll thank god <laughs> um that's funny uh no i well man this, so it's you know it's interesting because obviously there's there's stereotypes and and things that you imagine about you know professional athletes and you know it's hard it can be hard some you know to even just the travel schedules and stuff to, to navigate you know marriage and that's so cool that you've you've had you know three decades uh under your mm-hmm. belt of marriage what is jeremy ronick's uh parting wisdom for us here on making a successful marriage work um learn learn the word yes that's number that that's very important um pick your battles there's no question about that but i will tell you i i say this to a lot of people um paying attention to the the small things the details um you know making sure that you that you that you show in little ways that you're thinking about the other person or you do the little things that they would have to do normally that make make them look at you and say wow thanks for doing that for me thanks for thinking of that um because i i find in marriage nobody likes the lazy person nobody likes the person that 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 says you have your job i have mine everybody likes attention and i'll tell you one thing that i always do which is really important because i'm a big believer in 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 letting people know that, that 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 i'm there so if i pass by my wife and i'm within arm's length I am going to, I'm going to rub her back. I'm going to, I'm going to touch her hair. I'm going to give her a kiss. I'm going to give her a hug. Um, I'll pat her on the backside. I'll do anything I can to to show that, you know, the littlest things go a long way and, and, and touch and acknowledgement and saying, I love you is very, very important. Sometimes you just have to, sometimes you have to eat crow and just listen and, and not fight back. And I've, I've learned that in my later years. I wasn't good at that in my earlier years, but um, attention to detail is very, very important. Mm. Don't forget that it's not, it's not, it's not hard to make the bed every morning too. So, you know, that's, that's not bad. That's true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Last questions for our TikTok here, because we usually do a ghost story. We have, so two ways to do this for you. One, do you have a Rod Serling sort of twilight zone moment of something, you know, a little bizarre or mysterious that ever happened to you? And, and if not, just the most scared you've ever been, um, you know, which I, yeah, you have a lot to pull from on this, on the ladder. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's a twilight zone thing. I, I, this is, this was kind of crazy. I was, I was staying at a hotel in Ottawa. We were playing Ottawa one time and, you know, I, I am one of those people that believe that there is something bigger on the other side, that there's something different. So there's something that, you know, that we're, that we're going to, or, you know, whether there's spirits or angels or whatever like that, you know, the ghosts, I do believe that there is something waiting for us on the other side and, and whether things are haunted or not, I remember being in this hotel that was so old in Ottawa and it's been known to be haunted. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm not a bath guy. I don't take baths. I take showers and I went to bed and the tub was empty and I woke up at two in the morning to go to the bathroom and my tub was full of water Hmm. and, and, and the faucet wasn't running and it freaked me out so bad. I changed rooms the next day. I couldn't (laughs) sleep the rest of the night. I changed rooms, but I, it was, 
It was really eerie. I didn't like it. And I've told that story for a long time. So I believe that that hotel is haunted for sure. And probably the most scared I've ever been was on a flight uh, back, uh, back in the early 90s where we were flying and all of a sudden the plane dropped. It literally dropped straight down about felt like it felt like eternity but it was probably more like 1500 feet but everything flew to the ceiling all the you know the trays went up some guys that didn't have their seatbelts on went up and hit the hit the roof and literally were going and dropped straight down i thought i thought life was over forever and fortunately i'm not afraid of flying but after that it took me it took me a while to get comfortable flying again but um luckily we had a good pilot yeah. So you, you're a big fan of when the captain says, you know, keep that seatbelt on in case we face any unexpected turbulence. You're like, yes, sir. My seat, my seatbelt is on from takeoff to landing unless I'm going to the bathroom. There is no question about it. Hundred percent. I am a huge advocate of that. It's it's funny you mentioned that because I one of my I won't call it a fear, but just like one thing's I go because one, you know, the odds are very slim, right? But as I fly all the time too, but I'm like whenever I'm in the restroom, I was like, God, I really don't want to go out here. Like, please don't let it drop because I'm a big guy. I also don't fit in here in general, but like, I don't want to go like. Elvis, I yeah. don't want to be found no. just sprawled out unconscious in a lavatory, you know? Ditto. Ditto. So I'm holding on to the thing and actually, no joke, I will actually like yeah. put my arm over my head in case it goes up just because as a former football player, my cerebral trauma is in question. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that's right. Like I said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I just take precautions now. Oh, man. So now it'd be a great segue if we had Delta as a sponsor, right? <laughs> yeah, no, United. Yeah, United. United. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, I just I so appreciate uh, just your time. And just like the fans, you've given time to us. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you out in the golf course here and uh, you can bring some of that elixir. I, I think we should yeah. I think what we need is a peer reviewed study on whether that whiskey confers any benefits to golfing. I mean, it's not think, science, I think, right? I think it would be, yeah. well, it's it, like I said, it, it, it's, it's created for a lifestyle of the outdoorsman. You want to be outside, you want to have fun, fill up the flask, take it with you. It will go perfectly on the golf course and maybe help you make a couple putts. Oh man, results may vary, folks. Uh, we've been camping with Jeremy <laughs> Roenick, folks. Thanks so much.